Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. G'day and welcome to another episode of Farms Vice Podcast where we talk everything agribusiness, trying to grow your farm through improving efficiencies and lifting productivity. This episode today is very special as we have an Australian author who has written a couple of books for the both urban and non-urban people. So a book for farmers, a weekend read as we say on Instagram by Gabrielle Chan. So, Gabrielle Chen has written a book, Why You Should Give a Fuck About Farming. I love the title of it, really snappy and actually catches the eyes of both farmers and non-farmers and how agriculture relates to every facet of our lives. So, let's dive in and see how it all came about and a bit of her backstory as well. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Farms Vice podcast, Gabrielle. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Pleasure, Jack. Amazing to have you on the show. I've seen you dotted about here and there, and especially on Twitter. Twitter's a huge one for the farming community. And as you're a sort of new resident into agriculture, it's great to have you in, but also on the Farms Vice podcast. Thank you for coming on. Pleasure. Well, let's get into it and see who Gabrielle Chan is and what she's all about and where it's led her to today so for the audience can you just tell us a bit about yourself and what your connection is to agriculture well uh i had no connection to agriculture because i grew up in the middle of sydney uh first in coogee and then on a suburban block on the outskirts Um, my dad is a chinese singaporean migrant and so i had no connection with rural australia Um, flicked through to uh, I started in media and was reporting in politics and end up meeting a farmer and you know as you know life gets in the way of plans and 
So I ended up um, after reporting at Macquarie Street and in the press gallery, uh, moving to the farm, which is west of Canberra, in, uh, near a town called Harden, uh, in 1996. And that there began my interest in um, things rural. Beautiful and a good spot down at Harden. Was it pretty, yeah. is it like a culture shock, you think, for a Sydney yeah. girl moving down there? Yeah, it was a culture shock. but um, And it's one I was sort of slow to come to. Uh, but now I understand the place better. I think I have a better handle on it. But I think I always um, look with a little bit of outsiders eyes uh i just i guess because of my reporting background and my journalism i just like to work out how things work and that's where my books come from yeah beautiful and one of the main reasons we have you on you've got a book launching very soon tell us the title of that book and what it's all about so the title of the book is why you should give a fuck about farming brackets because you eat and it really is an attempt to look at the whole of the farming landscape particularly in Australia but also with global uh, reflections um, and look at why this industry that was so sort of um, foundational to early white Australian settlement still remains important today, but probably not for the reasons that non-farming people might think. Yeah, definitely. So writing a book, I found, I haven't written one, but trying to find those local authors instead of reading ones from the UK, ones from the US, it's really important to have yourself as an author writing about the agricultural issues. And also, do you think your book's trying to connect the community a bit more from city to country or what's the angle that you're going for with your book who's well, reading it as well uh, the, the the audience i'm hoping will be both metro and non-metro yep. farming and non-farming as well as policy people the first book rusted off i think got a mix of audience across those sectors um, and was uh, judging by the events i was asked to um, attend got good take up in the policy sector. So I think that um, that is useful. Uh, so it really, I mean, all my work really is about increasing understanding between both sides. You know, we have this kind of city rural divide that Australia's argued about really since um, white settlement. And I'm not sure it's very useful and you see it in sort of dumb comments from both sides um, from say politicians talking about inner city latte sippers to country people you know talking about um, uh, greenies and and um, all of that sort of stuff city people talking about dumb country people who keep voting for Barnaby Joyce why do they keep voting for Barnaby Joyce they deserve everything they get that sort of stuff is just pretty useless in terms of increasing understanding. And so, you know, both of these books um, are about uh, how you have a better conversation about some a, a really important industry in Australia. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of the conversation does get tied up in the thought processes of why do people vote for Barnaby Joyce or someone like that from a regional area? Is that 
a big argument that you have within the book. Um, is that one of the main uh, issues, the political landscape of what agricultural is and what ideas we're trying to push? The book is really uh, almost like a series of essays on all different aspects relating to farming. You know, what I discovered when I started the project, I thought thought it would be quite contained. And I quickly realised that farming um, goes into many elements of pretty much every element, you know, in public debate, economics, trade, environment, soil, water, climate change, uh, history, philosophy, you know, people have been trying to work out how humans as a part of nature interact with the natural world forever. And that's the kind of core job description that farmers have, right? Like they're yep. using land, soil and water to grow food or to manage landscape. And so we're going back to kind of Aristotle and, and all of those dudes Um a long way and also throwing forward you know we have these often have these really tribal debates about say is is farming relevant anymore because you know maybe we'll be growing lab-grown food and we won't need to farm anymore and we'll somehow lock up all of this land and just let it go back to some pristine wilderness that probably never was um, I think that sort of binary debate is really useless. So this is an attempt to pick through um, lots of different elements. There is a, an essay, a, a chapter on politics in there, um, but it's not all about politics. It's yep. about fundamental understandings about farming systems uh, and about the history, where we've come from and why we're farming the way we are right now and, and what that might mean as we step into the future. Yeah, definitely. I think debating about these sort of some issues, it can be deemed as useless. And something that I think the city dwellers, the urbanisers um, aren't noticing is that the farmer's got a huge amount of roles. As you said, farming, agriculture stems many um, commodities going out there for consumption. Um, and for them to understand what our role is, most of the time it's just a one-man band or a couple of people working, trying to push these issues and also getting the social license to be able to keep on farming currently. Is it something like social license within farming? Is that something that's touched on in the book and how farmers can be more aware of what's going on in the outside world? Yeah, definitely. So there's a, ch a chapter on food tribes and it, it's it's really interesting. I met a guy called Mike Lee who works for big food companies uh, around the world. He's based in the US. He spoke to Evoke, which is the AgriFutures yep. um, conference, and he was talking about how food is so linked to our identity uh, now in a very overt way. I mean, I think food has always been connected to our gut in an emotional sense as well as a physical sense. But I think now you're seeing this kind of polarisation around what we eat. We, we signal our values via, you know, whether we're a, a carnivore or an omnivore or a vegetarian or a paleo or a um, gluten-free or whatever. That You know, th that sort of value setting is really important, particularly um, to the next generation, which is my kids' generation, the 20-something, yep. the millennials. You'd be a millennial, Jack, I'm sure. Yep. But um, 
so so that's having um, a big effect on the way that we think about eating what we eat and shopping and and the retail end of that. And that retail, because those retail um, retailers, food retailers are so powerful now, they're reaching back into the agricultural chain to say, you know, we want food produced like this or we'll pay a premium for food produced like that. And that goes to all the farming systems debates, you know, the arguments around conventional farming versus regen versus all of these other systems, natural sequenced farming, um, biodynamic, organic. Um, it's almost as, polaro- as polarised as those food identities. So we're in a very fractured and uh, an overused word, disrupted um, market and landscape. And so this book is an attempt to step through that and think about what maybe what are the fundamental issues that Australia needs to think about when it's designing its policy going into the future. Yeah, well, I think you put it beautifully as like grouped them as uh, food tribes and how pe- different people react to what they're eating. Um, and the people around them is most probably their community and they're all buying similarly from the farms, but also the farmers that get on top of these trends of the paleo diets, the gluten-free, those ones that are able to adjust a bit quicker. I know the industry is pretty slow on the uptake of new techniques, technologies, um, but those that are at the forefront are going to really benefit from these consumer trends and the way they're changing and adopting. I'm not saying the meat-free option, um, like many are out there. I don't see it going away. I just see it's a growing population and we're needing to change the way we access different proteins. Definitely. And, you know, I think we often get caught up in the meat argument as, oh, my God, you know, if people move away from meat, um, we won't have any farmers left. There is, you know, chickpea, chickpea growers are farmers too. Um, there's all sorts of industries here uh, that can have a, a bite of the cherry. Uh, so it's not as simple as that. I don't really um, get caught up in that. Although I would say as far as the meat argument goes, I think it's a little bit unrealistic to think you can have landscapes without animals on them. And so that is an issue, you know, yeah. It's a lot of movement now around cell grazing, which has been around for a long time. But now, you know, it's often called regenerative farming and that all of those definitions are very contested. So I'm not going to step into there. But all I'm saying is, you know, animals are seen as part of the production system too in terms of improving landscapes if it's done right. And so to just say, oh, you remove all animals and the landscape goes back to this kind of magical um, system is not is really too simplistic yeah well it's a circular system especially with the livestock production we're a family farm with livestock um, and it really goes to show improving the land once you have them managed properly farmers are able to get on top improve their soils and also the term of region agriculture is getting thrown around now which i think has been utilized as a practice much before it was deemed as the term of regenerative agriculture, of course. So the book of 
why you should give a fuck about farming. Is it a bit of a sequel to Rusted Off? Well, not really in the sense that I had one chapter on agriculture in Rusted Off. Rusted Off was really um, written at a time where people were wondering why vote, uh, rural votes yep. were disrupting and changing and becoming more unpredictable. And I think that was a notion that was very much driven um, from maybe more from rural and regional towns and uh, agriculture wasn't a big part of what was driving that. But when I wrote that agriculture chapter, I thought there's a much bigger story here because the political um, angst that I was seeing in my reporting, some of it was around some of the deregulation agenda that had hit farming over the last couple of decades. And that was causing angst. Uh, and was was changing some things. So I thought it really needs a bigger examination, I think. Uh, and so that's what I set out to do. Yeah, beautiful. And I think for your upcoming book, which drops on the 31st of August this month, um, is really hitting a great time frame for people in lockdown. It may not be the best for events to get the word out there, but everyone's online at the moment. Farmers have never shopped so much online ever before. Um, and people are becoming more aware of what's going on. We're probably watching the news too much. So getting head down into a book is probably a good thing currently. Yeah, and I'm really pleased that this time um, we're doing an audio book. Just because of lockdown, it may not come out on exactly the same day, but it will be out shortly after. And I think for rural people, I don't know, normally um, you spend a lot of time in the car or out in the paddocks. And so, you know, I find it really handy to put on headphones and listen to a lot of stuff that way so you're not sort of staring at text or screen all the time. Uh, it's quite a nice way to, I find it quite a nice way to listen to books. Yeah, absolutely. It's a way to passively digest a different medium. Yeah. Is it going to be your voice gracing the airwaves or have you got someone <laughs> it else? Is, it is. No, no, no. It's my voice. And um, it was quite terrifying to think of reading a whole book on audio. And uh, But I got through it. I just thought it was. It would have been a bit weird because it's a personal perspective. And so to hear someone else read it, I thought would have been quite odd for me. Yeah, you'd probably be ticked off by the way they pronounced something or they didn't emphasise this particular part, which that's, that's right. what you strove for for the whole way through. Mm. How, how long did that process actually take you, putting it into audio? Oh, it was probably seven or eight days. Yep. I've got one more day of recording, so I'm going to lock myself in a wardrobe shortly um, because all the studios, of course, have shut down. So I'll be doing that. Yeah, beautiful. So um, let me know if I'm wrong here, but you moved on farm down in Harden in 1996. Yeah, that's right. How do you feel the landscape from when you first moved there from culture shock into 2021? How much has it changed at the moment? Like we're running on a podcast now um, targeted towards farmers out there to improve their farms. How much do you think it's changed and where do you think it's going? In terms of physical landscape or, or just work, working in rural areas? Both working, physical landscape, um, and as your point of view, as 
as a known city dweller moving out into the country? Do you think it's really more approachable for those moving regionally? Like Dubbo oh, is yeah, getting definitely. a huge influx of people. I think 800 people have moved out to the Dubbo region within the last year and a half. Massive, massive change. So when I moved, I couldn't work from home. We yep. didn't have uh, internet. You know, we had that old dial-up internet yep. in the early years uh, and I couldn't work from home. Work from home was not seen as appropriate by many big companies um, because, you know, no one could see if you were working and if you weren't in an office, that wasn't, wasn't um, acceptable. And so I'd drive an hour and a half for a very long parliamentary day and then drive back. Um, so, so that's changed massively. Now, now I'm working for The Guardian as rural and regional editor and they actively want me at home on the farm yep. and in my town because that's where I can see the stories, you know, I can see them from the landscape. Um, and I think the pandemic is really sort of... Uh, I guess everyone's talking about the move from cities to regional areas. And I understand from the figures from the Regional Australia Institute, that is both um, people moving into rural areas from city areas, but it's also people in rural areas no longer moving back to cities so much. So they're finding other opportunities in rural areas or they're rethinking, you know, does my career really need to me to be in a city? And that's opening up opportunities. And I think that kind of economic diversity and, um, and diversity of people and backgrounds and things is going to really supercharge country areas. It's got to. It's got to increase the opportunities. And there's someone, a friend of mine from Dubbo was saying there's three big apartment blocks now going up in Dubbo for quite high real estate prices, you know, something in the order of uh, a million bucks mm. between um, apartments and, and even more for the penthouses on the top of uh, Dubbo apartment buildings. Who knew that was a thing, right? So these areas are changing really quickly and I think it's really exciting actually, um, yeah, notwithstanding think- that there are, there are issues um, that will change, you know, housing stock, obviously, housing prices, um, planning requirements. Uh, but if we, if, if we can handle those things with governments, then I think it's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really attractive that these sort of projects are coming into Dubbo and other regional areas across Australia. That development, one of them's worth 100 million, I think. So they should be able to get their money back on that. But it's also like shifting the mindset, um, which is very similar for what your book is trying to do um, for both urban and non-urban people. Shifting the mindset of, yes, Dubbo is an attractive place to go and move. There's a lot of opportunities within regional Australia. And as long as you've got your internet, you can pretty much work from home for a lot of the roles within agriculture um, as a representative or within your role, working with the Guardian as well. Yeah, yeah. And and there w- we'll see more of that. And I think the other element is that diversity, um, both um, demographic di- diversity, uh, economic diversity of businesses, will change, will we'll make those places more resilient. You know, I, I've, I'm in a town 
that where the railway was the, the big employer in historically. Yeah. And then we've got occasional big employers like an abattoir. But the problem that you would see is that, you know, with the railway, obviously deregulation just pulled a lot of the workers out of that system um, so that now I think that we're lucky if we've got one person employed by the railway here in town. Um, the, the abattoir moves in, um, does the big bang, uh, gets provides jobs, and then, you know, drought comes or there's a downturn and they move out again. And so you get these big whacks in employment changes that where you lose, you know, when my kids were little at the local school, when the abattoir closed, we lost a class basically in the local school. That the diversity of lots of small, smaller, medium um, and a couple of large businesses create, doesn't have that sort of effect of waves of employment, either you're in jobs or out of jobs. There's, there's much more resilience. So I think that's a really hopeful story too. Definitely in up, up regional Australia, it's a really powerful, when it is thriving, when it's a really good season for farmers as well, you notice it in town that it's bumping away and everyone's spending a bit more cash than they did previously. But yeah. when you moved back into regional Australia, well, not back into Australia, what was the trigger point for writing on these topics that you are, why we should give a fuck about farming, rusted off, the farming aspect what was your trigger did was it something on farm that you saw yourself or what your husband was challenged by well it was more um watching the economic debate as a political journalist since i was a baby journalist and then once i'd written rusted off which was really um looking at at the political uh, and voting changes of rural people. Farming seemed to me a a sort of odd system, I guess. So it seemed to me that farming, farmers were uh, squeezed by these forces that they can't control. So whether they're physical forces like weather and climate or whether they're economic forces like um, the changing and and uh, declining competition of uh, around things like input businesses, big ag- agribusiness. You know, we used to have um, a couple of different suppliers uh, that you could go to. That's getting harder and harder as, as these big companies like Nutrien are taking over, you know, lots of smaller businesses. And it seemed to me odd that competition policy particularly had um, created less competition. So I thought, how do we think this is all going to work? And then so as I started thinking about those economic arguments, we go into pandemic, you know, and we go into um, a a time where the supermarket shelves are are stripped of the basic stuff, you know, anything to make spaghetti bolognese basically went, bread, um, uh, all of those staples went. And that was partly a result of just-in-time supply chains, you know, that retailers are learning they need to get more on stock if we're going to go into these rolling lockdowns into the near future. Um, But it's also about the deregulation agenda that kind of had the 
well, it was a, an ideology that says anything that you can't produce for the cheapest possible price, you outsource. How does that work in a disrupted trade world? How does that work when we're seeing these kind of um, big guys like US and China banging their chests together? How does that work in a pandemic that comes out of zoonotic diseases? How does it work in a bushfire? Uh, and I started looking through the evidence and, and found a lot of really interesting reports that had already been written about, you know, how we make the country more resilient against this sort of stuff. But I don't think governments are thinking about it in a connected way. And that really bothered me. So um, that's basically the book. The book is a, a discovery journey for me who had went in with some assumptions about farming uh, and some questions about how it was all going to work. Um, and you know, come out the other end really thinking, well, we need to think about this more deeply than we are. Yeah, I think so. We all need to take a deep dive into the practicality of it, um, not get into the debate as such, but learn about the facts that's going on in the industry. A quote I put up recently was, the farmer is the person in the economy who buys everything at retail prices, sells everything at wholesale and pays the freight both ways for that. Yeah, yeah, and and that that's a big one. Like the 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 thing that strikes me about farming is there's this constant drive, productivity drive, to make a cheap product cheaper. So you're constantly trying to make cheap food cheaper. And Australia um, spend, Australians spend. Uh, well, one of the few countries, I think there's about eight of them, according to the World Economic Forum, that spend um, less than 10% of their income on food, right? So we want very cheap food in Australia. But it's, at the same time, there's an expectation rising that we also want farmers to manage land. And if farmers manage in, in Australia up to 60% of the land mass. Yeah. So it, 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 we, we want to get it right. We'd like to get it right. Um, and so everyone has a stake in farmers getting it right. But on the current price uh, system, you can't, that, it doesn't factor in looking after the environment. If you want to have a $4 loaf of bread, that doesn't pay for landscape amelioration or the labour required to plant lots of trees. So somewhere in that, in that system, we have to go, okay, if we're going to have this contract, right, between the people who eat the food and the people who buy the, uh, grow the food, um, we have to think of different ways to do this because it's not going to work in the current price equation. Yeah, exactly. And it's another way to think about it. Um, and especially once reading your book, I hopefully we can come across a few areas that we might have not thought of prior to reading it. So thank you very much for coming on the show today, Gabrielle. Beautiful to have you on. How can we pre-order your book or even order it after the 31st once it's released? 
It's uh, you can order it online through all bookstores in my social media links, uh, and I'll. Um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find links to to go and pre-order the book, but it will be out on Tuesday, and um, I'm very excited about it and slightly terrified, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can order it online. Very accessible. Beautiful. Well, we'll have it all in the show notes. So farmers out there or anyone that's not a farmer as well, they can have a look and buy it as well. Fantastic. Thank you. Thanks, Jack. Thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Farms Vice Podcast. Thank you, Gabrielle, for your time on the show. Really important to showcase these books to ensure that Australian agriculture is thriving, both physically, but also in the minds of the community and how agriculture impacts every facet of our lives for both urban and non-urban. So for farmers out there, make sure you get your hands on it. It's gonna be released on the 31st of August where you can buy it. Uh, We'll have all the links in the show notes, so make sure you check those out. Really important to support those that support us. So. Thanks again. Make sure you share this episode on your social media to help us grow and find other farmers out there needing that motivation and bit of support to get ticking. But until next Tuesday, we have Byfields joining us for another cracking episode on succession planning. One not to miss, so make sure you're there wherever you are on the tractor, in the paddock, or maybe even the office. See you then. 